0: Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Ambitious Filmmaker Podcast. I'm Caleb,
1: I'm Mark, and I'm Eric,
0: and we're three best friends from high school who've spent the last 10 years in the film industry and realized that freelancing can be a lonely business. So we built the video community, a place where filmmakers on all parts of their journey can come together and empower each other's growth and success. On today's episode, we interview Scott Handel, founder of Ohio HD, which is one of the largest rental production houses in the Midwest. With Scott, we discuss how the film industry has changed over the last 20 years, the importance of commitment when agreeing to go on a set, and the single but most important difference between free work and spec work. So sit back, relax, and welcome to the Ambitious Filmmaker Podcast.
2: Wow, there's like multiples, huh? There's... uh expected was expecting, like, a, like a quorum.
1: <laughs> you know what? It's kind of like the mafia, Scott. That's what I
2: was thinking. Well, when I first, I popped up there, uh, um, I thought, Mark, you'd really let your
1: hair grow out and uh, <laughs> yeah. your beard grow a little bit. Oh, I, I did. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you thought maybe mine was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I, I,
2: I, I, Damn, it kind of looks like Mark, but not really. But, you know, COVID's been rough on a lot of us. I mean... <laughs> Or no, I mean Mark's been like working out, and he looks great. That's uh, (laughs) I try to spend as many people as possible.
0: <laughs> honestly scott let's just hop right into it one of the things we always like to start off with is the origin story or like the how we got to this point you know ohio hd is no difference so what put you on that path how did that get started and leading to what it is now today
2: so it's a um it's a, the origin story is is not a not linear at all it's 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 more like a bunch of happy accidents that they kind of led us to this place here and it's been a long and winding road so i got my first job and working radio and I just needed another job. And the uh, uh, one of the guys that was working at the station was a part-time meteorologist, and a full-time video job. And he quit that to move on to someplace else. And uh, I uh, I went in, interviewed for it. And I believe, based on my qualifications and because I was the low bidder, uh, I got the job. So I went to OU, uh, Ohio University. And so most of my uh, traditional schooling had, had, uh, had been around like I was going to be a radio broadcaster until I, I realized that you couldn't make any make a living doing that. So... I thought, well, let's choose the next most lucrative thing. Uh, and so video production popped to mind. And uh, while all our friends were being coming, doctors and lawyers, I decided I was going to make minimum wage. And so here we are. So I, I you know, I, I worked as a cinematographer, and editor, in uh, a small company. And then eventually, I moved to Alabama for about three years. And I was a production manager at a facility down there that did all things that were Alabama-esque. So we worked on Buckmasters and Bassmasters, mastering all the outdoor activities, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I did that for as long as I, I could stand it, uh, and then went, then we moved back to Ohio because that's probably where I needed to be. I started freelancing as uh, kind of on the production side of the world. I'd, I'd worked a little bit more in the editing side up till then, and, and kind of got on the on the production side. And so did that for for a while. Eventually, kind of worked up the nerve to spend a little bit, a bit of money, get a little bit of loans. So in 2001, February, I decided to sink a whole lot of money into camera equipment and stuff like that. And you know, I was all in. And then you know, later in 2000 once something else happened and it kind of kind of tanked the economy uh but made it through that kind of rough hatch. and then as things would have it the the market kind of expanded you know hd became a thing 4k became a thing and every time you got a call somebody wanted to work with a different camera so I, I started buying cameras so i could just take the work and then i would rent them you know kind of off to the side when i wasn't working and eventually it turned into a rental house. Again, another happy little accident. And yeah, at this point, I mean, we've got probably you know around 50 cameras kind of in-house and then a selection of lenses and and all kinds of support electronics and things to go around that. We bought a building, turned that into a studio about five years ago, expanded into kind of the grip side of it. So now we do cameras, grip, get a studio. And then this year we'll be opening up a, a second studio in the same building. So we'll have, have two stages, uh, one that has more of a, a three-walled psych, Kind of traditional studio, and then uh, one that is more uh, centered around being a daylight studio. So um, a lot of the photographers in the in the area have been talking to me about a need for a daylight studio. And so we're we're adding that piece to it, but then we'll also have the ability to close down the windows and and uh, you know shoot shoot traditional video as well. So I honestly, started just kind of just filling in holes and like you know like and and then. Yeah at some point you look back and like, I often explain it like a glacier, you know, it doesn't seem like anything's happening and you're like, like slow moving, just, just nothing's going on. Then you look back and like, holy shit, we cleared some landscape We're kind of doing this thing. And, and it's exciting. And and I'm, I'm just happy to be along for the ride.
0: Honestly, I think that glacier analogy is amazing because I feel like that's the growth in a lot of career type stuff where it's like day to day, you don't notice any changes. And sometimes you wonder if you're even or if you've been making progress or making a difference. And then it's only when you look back, like where you started versus now that you really see that change. And another thing I want to point out when I was hearing your story is listening to the needs of the community and adapting and you said filling the holes. So it's like seeing a need and filling it and then building a very successful company off of giving the community what it needs and what it wants.
2: And a lot of people, I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, talk about that. I mean, like, you know, it's like, well, how do you, uh, how do you build a business? Well, you see an opportunity and, and you know, you go try to fill that niche or fill that, that area. And honestly, at the point at which I was doing it, it really just felt a lot like survival. You know, it's like, like, you know, you're climbing a mountain, you know, or a rock and then you're like looking for that next handhold. So that's, what it was, you know, but, but in, in doing that, it was trying to figure out what those niches were and trying to fill those niches. And I, you know, I often tell people that the hardest thing that I do every day in my life is, is just try to stay relevant. What is that next thing? Where is that, that kind of piece coming and, and how do you stay relevant in this business, which changes really often. I mean, and I think, you know, COVID and we're seeing a huge change in how this works. What will be the new normal when people get back? This isn't going to go away. The whole idea that we're doing a whole lot of things over Zoom and, and how will Zoom evolve and become the next, you know, kind of wave of this and play it out, you know,
0: so. Yeah, tweaks and pivots, constant adaptation. Like, oh, as entrepreneurs, you know, they say that's the thing to do. And it really is as simple and as complicated (laughs) as as that
2: yeah watch like shark tank or something like that and and you see somebody come on there with a, a relatively simple idea that same time revolutionary and you're like man like i could have thought of that at any point but yeah. i damn sure didn't <laughs> you know it is trying to see things in a new way and and tackle those problems in, in an interesting kind of space
0: what was like the biggest pivot or adaptation you mentioned survival earlier you felt like some of this process was the survival so what what was like like a you say a defining pivoting moment for ohio hd
2: i kind of looked at being an entrepreneur and you'd read business books or stuff like that i mean like there'd be a lot of a lot of talk about well how do you grow from one employee to 10 employees and for me it was like well how do you grow from zero employees to one employee you know like like that just seemed like the biggest stretch for me you know the idea that i was going to enlist another human being in in my you know search for my goals and then you know reach out to them and, and, and you know, make them an offer that to provide stability in their life and then be able to fulfill that promise. I'm going to commit to you and you're committing to me, but, you know, like I really want to make this work. And, and I think part of that was, is because I was working as a DP, I was very committed to what my idea of my brand was, you know, like, but very much I was my brand. And so it was being able to to trust, you know, somebody else to represent my brand and then being able to convince my clients that whoever I was trusting they could trust to also represent my brand and to widen out my brand as long as i was just me and and, and there's nothing wrong with just being yourself as a freelancer but as long as I w- it was just that piece of it i was always going to be trading hours for dollars and i couldn't scale so being able to trust somebody
1: else for them to trust me and and for my clients to be able to trust it just took a lot what was like what was the point In your business, when you were just a one-man band like that, that you're like, okay, now it's time to hire somebody, like not just use contractors, but...
2: So it it really took a long time. I mean, you know, like the, for me to give up that control and 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 to have that trust. I mean, a lot later than I should have done it because I wasn't willing to give up that control and I wasn't willing to to, to kind of trust. And so, because I was also I was trying to run this business. And I was I was traveling. I was probably staying in hotels about a hundred nights a year. You know, a lot of times when I was hiring freelancers, I you know, I was running the business out of my garage at that point, and so. I'd give them a garage code and they'd go over to my house and they'd code into the garage. And then I'd be like on the phone, like now to the left, take three steps to the left, reach down to the second shelf, you'll find a battery charger. It's midnight in a hotel. And I'm like trying to, trying to direct somebody through my house. My wife thinks somebody's breaking in and <laughs> you know, it, was, it was, it was a good system. You know, we we worked through that. And, and so, you know, it started small. I mean, like I, I found somebody to work for me part time and I just like, Hey, can you take on 10 hours a week, you know, to just help with, with simple things. And then, you know, and, and so it was, it was just a progression of baby steps it's like, all right, well, ten hours turned to twenty hours, twenty hours turned to thirty hours, and then you know, all of a sudden, that guy's you know, like eighty hours a week. What are you kidding? And then you then you hire the next guy. It was it was a slow process.
1: Any business tips about that, like to filmmakers who are looking to having a part time employee or a full time?
2: One of the things that I, I think is important in every facet of this business is relationships or relationships with anybody that you deal with. You know, our market, Columbus, Ohio, specifically, it's a small market. You know, like everybody knows everybody. You know, and if, if you're, if you if you're gonna treat somebody like crap, uh just know that you're probably gonna to have to look at them for the next, you know, twenty or thirty years in some way, and they're going to affect you, right? So whatever you're going to do, make sure that you're, you're, you know, you're building relationships for the long term and that start off with respect. And maybe you won't be able to pay a top dollar or things like that. But, you know, just make sure you have respect for somebody's time. Make sure they're getting something out of the arrangement. Um, you know, that they're feeling fulfilled in this too, and productive for both of you.
1: I would like to go back to your, um, talking about your brand as a, you know, back, when you're a one man band, we actually have a lot of freelancers and one man band esque um, businesses in our community, and um, we talk a lot about everyone's individual brand. I'd like to see what you think, aside from respecting others and everything, what maybe your most important part of your personal brand was um, when you were dealing with clients. And
2: it's the same thing, honestly, as it is today. I think we're incredibly fortunate to work in this business. I mean, like I really do. I mean, like it's absolutely. Uh, you, know, you could be a co- Miner, or filling yeah. potholes, or any any number of positions, you know, like, or or God forbid, like, you know, working a cubicle. You know, <laughs> <where> <laughs> I think I think mm-hmm. in this we've all we we've all had the ability, and it's one of the cool things about this job is you have the ability to audition all kinds of jobs because you get hired into some thing and you go in and you learn about some type of company, some type of process, somebody's life, maybe it's documentary, even a narrative. You learn about you know somebody's life circumstance, and so. So you get to audition a whole lot of things, you know, and, and for me, this, this continues to be the thing that works. I knew that, you know, one of the things I bring to whatever I do is I have a large personality and, and I some people find me to be funny. You hate to say that out loud, but people laugh at things I say. So I, I feel that it may be true. I really like connecting with people. And I really liked creating a sense of lightheartedness and kind of fun on set. Again, it was serious work. We got the work done. We never, you know, like, like, you know, none of that. We didn't get behind schedule. But we approached the work in a way where everybody was having a good time and everybody felt at ease. There wasn't a sense of stress. There wasn't a sense of, of oh, my God, you know, there's a prima donna on the set and somebody's got to be upset. You know, like, it's just like, how can we make everybody feel at ease and feel comfortable in this space? And yes, you had to like, you know, nail the lighting and the angles and the framing and all the technical things, you know, and and that's the mere cost of entry. The next part of that is, well, how do you do this in in an engaging way that makes the client really feel at ease? And and I think brings out the best in in everybody in that situation, because I think everybody's more creative when they feel comfortable in a situation and they're not afraid of saying the wrong thing or stepping on somebody's toes or, oh my God, you know, like whatever this thing is. So it's just like my brand was totally just like let's just be chill
0: man I could not agree more I mean technique is important you know that's why I got hired to do the job but being able to create ease on set, being able to uh, utilize soft skills to your advantage to make everyone feel more comfortable, walking that line between having a good time and getting the work done—I mean, that honestly, that creates the best memories too with, with sure. an on-set yeah. experience. And, 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 and that's
2: what keeps you know keeps folks coming back because they want to they want to yeah they want they want to work with people who they know and who they trust and and you know who, who they're a fun time with. I mean, I got a million mantras in this business, you know, like uh, my daughter, she's uh, she's going off to, to work on a little independent film project this week and i had a quick little interview with her last night and she's like it wasn't really an interview i, I don't even know what it was and i'm like well they were trying to see if you were gonna pass that well i used to call the 10-hour rule which is now the 12-hour rule and she's like well what's that and i'm like well it, it's basically the test of like can i stand next to your dumb ass for the next 10 or 12 <laughs> hours without killing you and that's i mean that's a lot a lot of it i mean like can i be yeah. in the same room with you for a long period of time with, without wanting to strangle you and so that's yeah. that's you know what one of the things like can you pass the 10 hour rule.
1: I love Absolutely. I love putting that example to it. We've talked about that a lot with, you know, a lot of clients, like once you get into the meeting with them, like they've already seen your portfolio, you've already sent them a, a proposal. Now it's like about them figuring out whether they can, you know, they vibe with you, whether they trust you, whether they're going to have fun with you. Like, yeah, but I love hearing it as like, yeah, can I spend that time with you?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, good energy is important. I mean, good enough and easy to hang out with beats best of the business, total dick, any day of the week.
2: It, you know, it's a choice. <laughs> 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 and some people choose one. Uh, I try to choose the other. And I'm sure at the end of the day, there's tons of people out there. They'll say, mm, Scott Handel, he's a dick. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, that, that's mostly in my family. Um, so that's, uh, that's okay.
1: I wanted to uh, get your opinion Scott from a career standpoint because you do have a lot of experience in you know in the video industry in the Columbus market and you've seen a lot but especially now in the time of covid <laughs> whether it's covid or post covid there's not really a pre covid ever again some career advice for people who are newer to the industry or are just getting into it like what does it look like to grow a successful career it's tough right now right i mean like
2: you know again
1: building those building those trust relationships
2: are, are are so much harder right now because you know you can't see people face to face it's hard to drop in on somebody it's hard to take somebody out to lunch it's hard to get a feel for what somebody is outside of you know a quick email or a text or maybe you know best case scenario a zoom call persistence becomes you know kind of a piece of it you know it's it's it really is trying to get creative to, to think about ways to, to connect with people and and maybe you're in a space you know like I'm I am not a big fan of work for free. In most cases, a mistake where people you know, try to give things away and think that somebody's going to value what they gave away for free. You may gain experience in that and it may take you to some other client, but that client that you gave something away for free to i don't i don't know how much they're they're really going to value what you do but that being said in a covid environment where maybe the phone's not ringing at all maybe it is time to dive into something that's that's more spec or more experimental or you know takes you to a different place because you have some time on your hands i mean you know especially if you're somebody that invested in some gear and that's just sitting there depreciating i mean trying to figure out ways to put those assets that you have to work in this time and try to find a creative outlet to, to kind of move that forward because it is hard to to connect with with new business right now i mean we find that as well i mean you know the the idea of us trying to reach out to new folks and you know like first thing you want to do is bring them in give them a studio tour or you know we've got this cool little robot and it's like well let's show you the rush control robot and and all of those things are are cool in the in the flesh, but a little harder to, to make real from, from a distance.
1: I love that you brought up that you don't like free work because we often talk about free work too. And like free work is the F word yep. <laughs> for us. Right. Yeah. But you, you also brought up spec work, you know, and I think there is a clear difference, right. From, from your perspective, you know, how would you describe that to somebody who's like, what do you mean spec work? Isn't that free work?
2: It is free work, but it's it's maybe that you're you're able to sell them maybe not just on the work but on a concept or Something else that shows your your long term value, or your potential value, and kind of kind of growing that out. And it's something that you have control over. You're not just taking direction from somebody else and saying, "Here, execute this," you know. And and you go, "Okay, yeah, let me go execute this." And then the, and then you execute it, and they're like, "Well, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do this?" And and you know, like, and then they just beat you down. <laughs> yeah, you know, like to yeah, you're the like- lowest degree because you know, like oh well, here you didn't ex- do it exactly the way I did it. Well, yeah, because you didn't pay for it, you know. And so I thought I might get something out of this. Well, it might be you know. Fulfilling to me and not completely soul crushing. We're do- and we're doing a couple projects right now, and and um, the client that we're working with, he's trying to put together something, and, and he was trying to get a, a clear definition of like, well, what, you know, what do I pay for and what do I get for free? And I'm like, well, the stuff that's cool and that I can get some creative kind of feedback and and and, and energy from. And I can get buy-in from when I say, hey, we're doing this. And like, you know, people that I work with, their creative eyes light up and they're like, yeah, we want to work on that. That kind of stuff, I'm like, I can sell to people and I can get buy-in and I can get that to happen, you know, because people are excited about just doing something cool and creative. The stuff that is like mud and drywall, you know, or, or just laying bricks, you know, one, one thing at a time where it doesn't take any creative juice that's the stuff you're going to have to pay for because nobody nobody wants to do that work unless unless there's a little grease behind it so i mean that's i guess that would be the difference is is you know in the spec work is is having having a creative voice having control and, you know, and having something that you can take to that next level, to that next client and say, hey, this is this is the kind of elbow grease I can put into a project. Man, this is really cool. And, and, you know, you show it to anybody and they're like, yeah, this is really cool. And that helps move your personal ball forward. So that's I guess that's the difference I'd put in those is just that level of control within the project.
0: Maintaining control of the process, pivoting yourself as the video expert and not just a service provider. Yeah, and I think the difference between free work and spec work is literally that maintaining control, showing I am an expert. This is why you would trust me with your budget or trust me to create for you, versus the the yeah, handout. Free
2: work is like proving what you know, what you already know how to do. Right? Uh, here's I'm proving to you that I already know how to do this. The spec work is like, I'm proving to myself that I can do this and that I can take yeah. this to the next level or make, make this happen. That's a little bit more of betting yourself as opposed to, you know, somebody else betting on you. Don't do it for free if it doesn't ring some bell outside of just, oh, I'm going to do this for you.
0: Yeah, also just the in- insane initiative it shows. Yeah. As well, you know, if you got like 10 videographers reaching out like, hey, we'd love to work with you. And then you got one that comes in and says, I built this.
2: Yeah, proof of concept thing. And maybe, you know, the spec thing doesn't have to be the end all be all of the project. I mean, the spec work can be the framework of the project and and then let them pay for for the actual actualization of it. So, you know, so it's a kind of a seed in that space. So just trying to get somebody to to believe in that vision and then pay for it.
0: And- Operative phrase right there. <laughs> pay for it. What would you say have been some of the biggest just changes in the industry that you've seen over the last twenty years? Like how has it evolved? At the core, we're still
2: communicating people's messages. The tool set to to communicate those messages has changed uh, immensely, you know, and, and continues to change. Everybody thinks that next thing that comes out is going to destroy the industry. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, but it does continue to evolve. You know, when I first put a camera on my shoulder, you know, it had a had an umbilical that went down to a record deck that you, you know, like you you Ah. moved around like a suitcase, you know, and, and you kind of played that game out. Um, you know, you didn't shoot the sun sunset because, you know, it was going to, it was a tube camera and it burned the image into the, uh, into the camera for the rest of its life, you know, so you didn't want to, didn't want to play that game too much. And we've had two industries merged together. So television and film merged together. So, um, you know, so on the other side of that, you know, it was, it was loading film reels and, and, you know, playing that game and, and. People were really conscious about how much film they would roll, or how much you know when you push the button, or or really just anything that happened on that set. Because anytime you hit the button, you know you're spending money. You know you're rolling through real film, and it was like you know it was cost, and you know and then you had to you know reload the camera every every ten minutes, and you know like there was just a thing. know it was like it was real. Now we just you know we just roll, and you know two or three hours later, you know we we hit the stop button, you know we've captured everything, and and you know ninety eight percent of it's garbage and um but we got it and uh, you know we can go off and create some amazing reality show but i think it's harder to get into the business than it used to be because you know again all of the the because you had to be more technically specific on, on a whole lot of things because the equipment was bigger and it was a little more complex you know it required larger crews and so you know when you showed up to set you know you, you could be that extra guy on a set that really didn't know anything this guy you know, you could you could fold into that and, and then you could apprentice on set and kind of learn from other f- folks and, and eventually, you know, start to hone your skill set with within a kind of an apprenticeship style, which I really think works the best for this business. Now, it's, you know, if you want to learn your your you know, you're listening to podcasts like this, or you know, you're reading blogs, or you're reading reviews, or you know, trying to go to a, a gear show or or some place to get information about what that thing is. Or you you buy something, you know, you buy that, that low end thing that you can afford, and you try to do your your, your tests and research on that, you know. But, but it's very much a self taught kind of kind of piece, and 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 that's fine to a certain extent. But then when you do start working in larger crews, <laughs> you realize that there is. Uh, A hierarchy, and there is a process that that a lot of professionals use, and so then you have to lose a lot of those bad habits or relearn things and try to figure out well, how do I work? How how do I work and play with others? And that's you know that's both in in the field on on the the shoot side and the post side, learning hierarchies of how you manage data and and file structures and where you put all that stuff and. You know, people get very particular about those things because, you know, they they matter at some point.
1: So what would you tell a filmmaker then? Like, what's like, if they're going to step foot on set, maybe not for the first time, but like they're very new to the industry, Mm -hmm. right? Like, what kind of advice would you give them so that they can adapt?
2: Use whatever role you're in to your best advantage. You know, just because you showed up, you know, you're, you're the world's best gaffer, but you've never been on set, so you got hired as a PA. Well, um, use that, you know, because if there is a gaffer on set, watch what he's doing. Watch how he picks things up. Watch how he walks through the room. Watch how he, he, he progresses through the day. Watch what things come off the truck first. All of those things. I mean, you know, like, just just pay attention. I think, you know, there's a lovely gaff, gift in being in some of those lower stress roles on set that, that you can pay attention to and learn things. Uh, one thing that I tell people a lot is, when you show up on one of our sets, it may seem like everybody in the room is just having a good time and relaxed and 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 not really paying attention. But I guarantee you, every one of those people is—they're is, just so good that that's how—that's what they look like, right? They're, you know, it's like it's like that guitar guy—that's you know, like like he's burning on that guitar makes it look so easy well these these guys are all professionals and these gals are all professionals too and they make it look easy but in their peripheral vision they know you know if they see a white stand falls or or something happen over here or, like they've got it they're, they're it's handled you know like it's it's they're you know they're they're the gaffer and the audio guy are always making eye contact with the dp so if the dp's over there struggling and needs something adjusted he doesn't have to stop the shot and say hey do this no they 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 talk with their eyes and and somebody can swoop in there and make a subtle adjustment and let everything just kind of flow so that's that's my biggest thing always is just just be aware don't be on your phone keep your eyes on the set keep your peripheral vision out there and be ready to make a difference you know and and you know it's it's you know if you're playing basketball you're you know you like you wouldn't be on your phone and then you know you look up and shit there's the ball hit in the face you know be there and pay attention so when 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 the opportunity does come, you know, you're able to you're able to, you know, add some value to whatever that position is.
0: Yeah. There's a, a philosophy that I learned about in Zen Buddhism called Shoshin. So it's mm-hmm. like learner's mindset. So it's like no matter what you know or what you learn about something, always maintain Shoshin. So I think that plays perfectly into what you're saying, where it's like, yeah, if you're the best gaffer in the world, but you've never been on a set, like when you go in, like you need to always maintain a learner's mindset. Because one, there always is more to learn. And two, just like new perspectives always give a fresh approach to any craft, no matter what it is.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and the other the other part of that is if you do, you know, we, we talked a little bit about free and, and if you do, you know, may, maybe you have decided to show up for free on a set. Don't go in there with the idea that, well, I'm working for free today. So, you know, they'll get what they get right whenever you show up you should work your ass off because you are constantly being judged and you know you may you may not know it somebody may catch you you know across the room they're like man i don't know who that who that guy or gal is but man they're working their ass off and you know like they they end up putting you on some paid work so no matter what you do if if you agree to do it just do it if it's an edit if it's a whatever make sure you put your whole heart into it and if you don't want to do it just say no you know, as a DP, you go into a situation and, I don't know, everybody's got excuses, right? Well, well, we didn't have the right lights for this, or the. or the, the producer didn't give me enough information, or we didn't have enough money, or, you know, whatever that situation is. You walk into the room, at the end of the day, you, you know, you're going to like that scene, you're going you're to, whatever, whatever position you're playing, you're, you're going to do the best you can in that, right? And then that that video, that film, that's going to get released out to the world, And somebody's going to watch it and they're either going to go, well, this is really good or it's shitty. And they're not going to care about your budget or the producer's communication or any of those things. They're going to make a thumbs up, thumbs down judgment. So whatever that situation is, if you're, you know, you need to make that the best you can in that moment, because nobody cares. Nobody's ever going to consider all the mistakes or all the hurdles or all the things you were up against. They're only going to consider the work for what it is and whether it's good or whether it's not good.
0: Absolutely. This is a problem solving line of work. Uh, Eric and I particularly (laughs) always joke over it's at least 60% of our job is just solving problems. Well, so. that,
2: that, is, that is exactly how, I mean, that's that's how I describe, uh, you know, our crew here at Ohio HD is like, you know, we are problem solvers. You know, the other things I say is, you know, is, as freelancers, I mean, like, I think we're often overpaid. The day just goes like, you know, smooth as butter. We are completely overpaid for what we do. The point where we earn our money is where when shit hits the fan and and it all is going down and the client, you, you fix it and it goes perfectly and the client never knows. That's where you earn the money. That's because really if, 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 if it was just all smooth as silk all the time, who cares? Like you know, like but but it's it's that ability to be able to see and solve problems before they they come to the surface and just make everything smooth.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: we just did an episode last week on being a concierge, you know, and it's like we're like we're not video people. Mm-hmm. Sure, we shoot video, but we're concierges to our clients. We're yes people. On our own terms. And I love like the, it was so simple you mentioned, but it was like, if you don't want to do it, then say no. Mm -hmm. Don't be pressured into a yes and then give a half ass job
2: yeah that's the that's the worst thing i mean like you know it's just like you get a bad attitude they get a bad i mean like everybody just comes away from it in 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 just a shit mood Mm
1: -hmm. and it did
2: nothing to move anybody's ball forward in fact it probably moved you back a few steps so if if your answer is really no just say no but if your answer is yes man tackle it hug it embrace it go (laughs) i went half-assed i'll ask my 18 year old son uh hopefully he won't watch this he's a really good child own it in baby let's go so, yeah. but no, we, you know, we, we do a lot of things besides whatever the job we're hired to do. You know, one of my standing jokes was, you know, we're professional movers who occasionally get to, you know, shoot a little bit of video, you know, like does <laughs> <laughs> your day spent moving furniture? You know, like
0: geez. so many days. Scott, how can people follow you and Ohio HD on social media?
2: So you know we're uh, at Ohio HD on Instagram, um, you know OhioHD video on Facebook, uh, at Ohio HD on Twitter. But yeah, we we'd love to build a sense of community. Um, in years past, and hopefully in, in years future, you know we, we do try to put on you know uh, some some community kind of events, uh, gear shows, uh, different types of uh, seminars and kind of learning events for folks to 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 be a part of. Uh, we definitely encourage people to co- you know come in the door, meet our meet our team. Um, you know, work with gear, play with the gear, ask us questions about the gear, do some camera tests, that kind of thing. We're definitely convinced that people don't rent gear, use gear, or uh, want to move on to other things they don't understand and, and they, you know, think are going to make them look stupid on set. So we want to make sure that, that people get the experience they want to before they get on set. Uh, we're here to answer questions and help build, you know, their their knowledge base. Um, and we're all about building a sense of community here in, in central Ohio and, and the Midwest and, and, and wherever people make uh, you know, creative kind of stuff.
0: You heard it, folks. Stay from Scott's mouth. Community is king. Yeah. Community is king. Find that need. Fill it. And if you're going to do something, do it. And on that note, stay safe. Stay healthy. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Ambitious Filmmaker. Have something you want us to talk about? Interested in chatting with like-minded filmmakers? Join the conversation over at our free Facebook group and subscribe to our Instagram. Just search the video community. We'll see you next time. And remember, always be creating.